you all for being here this morning. I'm pretty stoked about class today. We have something that's really uh, bizarre coming. Just going to leave it right there. Let's say it's bizarre coming. And it's coming in about 30, 40 minutes. So stay awake. But if you go to sleep, Oliver, if you go to sleep, you will wake up when the bizarreness comes. Uh-oh. So I don't know how many of you have an Apple Watch, but if you do your wrist like that, it, kick, it, it activates Siri. So I'm standing up here. And I'm telling you this, and I bent my wrist back, and it said it's looking for something strange on the internet. So it may find it. We may have two strange things by the time this is done. But we're looking at snapshots of Jesus, and we're looking at it from the Gospel of Mark. Now, the New York Times in 2015 ran a story, photos, photos everywhere. And it said, this year, global consumers will take more than one trillion digital photos. I believe it was, if my memory serves me correctly, and it could be wrong, but I believe it was about five, six years earlier when the news came out and said that over that calendar year, those 12 months, humanity took more pictures, photographs, than in the entire history of the human race put together in one year. It was the year that cameras really made big inroads, cell phones, big inroads into China. And, and you think about it. I mean, when I grew up, these were things that we knew about. You would go to a wedding and you'd have these little cardboard phones set on each table so that people could take pictures of the wedding, right? Well, pfft, there's no market for that now. Because people have these little cell phone things and you can take movies and you can take pictures and people do it constantly. I go back, mom, I don't know how many, I mean, we've got a decent amount. We've got pictures of Catherine and Holly and I, well, not so much Holly, but Catherine and I, <laughs> big brother prerogative, we've got enough, we've got a few pictures of us. But I mean, of our children, their selfies alone are 50 gazillion times more than we will ever have of us. They have documented every second of their existence. <laughs> and then they upload it all to the, the cloud. These things, they're gone by and large with the advent of cell phones and the cloud, which I would love to know what is anyway. What is the cloud? I'll leave my paranoid delusions out of this. But I'd like you to think in terms of pictures because as this class right now is snapshots of Jesus, what I'd like to do is ask you, how do you see Jesus? What is your personal view of him? And some of you are longtime Christian believers and you're going to say, he's my Lord and Savior. And amen. Wonderful. But beyond that, how do you see him? And some people are, see him differently. So I want to look at Jesus today, but I want to do it through three different lenses asking three different questions. And the first one I want to ask is, who is Jesus? The second one I want to ask is, uh, our look at is the perspective of Jesus in the war. And then the third thing I want to look at is a, a story about Jesus that should make us all sit up and take notice lest we miss not just him but his power in our life. So those are our three lenses. Let's uh, uh, cover them up. Whoops, that's the one we want to keep. Cover up the other two. There you go. Let's cover up the other two and let's start with who is Jesus. Our story for this comes from Mark chapter 1 and it starts with verse 21. And here's what it says. And they, and this is Jesus and several of his uh, disciples, they went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and was teaching and they were astonished at his teaching because he taught them 
as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Now, scribes were people who were in charge of writing out the law and keeping track of it. They were scribners. But with that came the ability to teach. And with that came the ability to understand what they were writing out. And we've got a good idea from a number of different ancient Jewish literatures how the scribes might teach. And most of the scribes who were teaching would teach in a way that's kind of consistent with what we can see in the earliest writings we have of the oral law that, that Israel followed. And this oral law is called the Mishnah, and it was written out probably in about the, started in the third century being written out, so the 200s. But it was an oral code that had been there for centuries before. And if we just pull it up, you can get an idea. I pulled out this passage. Rabbi Shimon ben Gamaliel said, The ancestral house of my father, the dynasty of Nesaim, from the house of Hillel, was accustomed to give its white clothes to a Gentile launderer for no fewer than three days before Shabbat. And however, these Beit Shammai and those Beit Hillel, that's uh, uh, the house of Shammai and the house of Hillel, agree that, Ab initio, from the beginning, one may load the beam of the olive press on the olives on Shabbat Eve while it's still day. So the oil, and, and, and if you're looking at this for the rules of Shabbat, they're quoting Rabbi ben, Shimon ben Gamaliel, which is Simon, the son of Gamaliel. They're quoting uh, uh, the house of Shammai. They're quoting the house of Hillel. And this is what they would do. And so they would be, have a passage of scripture in front of the synagogue and they would say, here's the passage of scripture. Let's say it's from the, the Torah or from the half Torah, which are the prophets, and it would be read. And then the person would say, now Rabbi so-and-so says this, but Rabbi so-and-so says that. And Rabbi so-and-so says this, and Rabbi so-and-so says that. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus stands up there, he reads it, and he says, this is what it means. And so the people are amazed at his authority, or at his teaching, because he taught like someone with authority. Pretty good. So who is Jesus? Some see him at that time as a good teacher, or at least an authoritative one, one who knew what he was teaching. Now the passage continues, and immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit and he cried out what have you to do with us Jesus of Nazareth have you come to destroy us I know who you are the Holy One of God now you'll see that 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 this man ha has his mind has been controlled to some degree by an unclean spirit an Ah, catharto. Catharto would have been a clean, but when you put ah in front, it means not clean, unclean. So his was a penumati, ah, catharto, an unclean spirit. And we need to understand and read this with Jewish mentality at the time of Christ in mind. Now, at the time of Christ, the Hebrew thought classified things into two categories. There was clean and there was unclean. And those are the two categories. And it was true for people. And it was true for food. I mean, unclean, pork. Clean, lamb. You can get the lamb chops, don't get the pork chops. You don't... Yet, yet, clean and unclean wasn't just the food though it could be people some people were unclean and you were not to touch them lest you become unclean they're, they're a dead body unclean you touch the dead body you're unclean and, and, and a, a childbirth could make a woman unclean and then she's got to be cleaned afterwards. Because here's the key. The unclean 
must be made clean to come before the clean or holy God. And that's taught in the Torah, and it's taught in the prophets, and it's taught in the other writings. It's taught throughout Judaism. It's taught in the written law. It's taught in the oral law. The unclean must be made clean before it comes into the presence of the holy God. Think back about Isaiah. Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips or unclean people. Um, that's Isaiah 6, and he's in the presence of the Almighty throne. And what does God do? He touches him with a, a, a coal from the sacrificial altar to clean his lips. <laughs> touches his lips to symbolize cleaning him. You don't come into the presence of God if you're dirty. You do not get to soil the pure cleanliness of God. Now that's their thought. So when an unclean spirit comes into the presence of Jesus who has the Holy Spirit, who is the clean God, there's a problem here. And the spirit knows it. And the spirit cries out, what have you to do with us? Tihemen kai soy. What have you to do with us? And, and this is a, a colloquial phrase in the Greek. What with us and you? What's, what's, what's with us and you? What's going on here? And it was used colloquially in Greek to mean, hey, what's, what's the issue? What's the issue? But it's more than that within Hebrew thought because this is the language that's used in the Old Testament over and over as, as the beginning of a combat or a conflict. This is combat language. And so you see this, uh, uh, he cries out, what have you to do with us? You'll see this same language in passages like Judges 11, 12, 1 Kings 17, 18. Let me give you an idea so that you've got a Joshua, Judges 11, 12. So this is the story of Jephthah. Jephthah sent messengers to the king of the Ammonites and said, what do you have against me? Instead of hey men, it's more, it's, it's, it's singular, but it's the same phrase. What do, you, what do you have against me? That you've come to me to fight against my land. You know, what's, that, this is combat talk. You know, what's between you and me? You know, are we going to duke this out? Why are you here to fight me? What's up? 1 Kings 17, 18. Same language. This is Elijah. After this, the son of the woman, this is the widow of Zarephath, the mistress of the house became ill, and his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You've come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. This is combative language, this is a challenge. This, this, this is what we've got here. And so when we read this language, we read it recognizing the, the combative nature of it. Then you add to it, the Spirit calls him first Jesus of Nazareth. And we know from ancient papyri, the magical papyri that scholars call it, that frequently in the world of demonic warfare and spirits and, and things like that, that naming someone gave you some measure of authority or power over them. And so some scholars look at this and say this is him not only challenging Jesus and in the combative, but trying to exercise some measure of control over Jesus. You know, what have you to do with us? Jesus of Nazareth. 
Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. This is a statement of fear. It's a statement of concern. You come to, to destroy us. You know, what's going on? And it makes me again ask the question, who is Jesus? Is he someone to be feared? The story says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Do you get that? Do I get that? That here, in the midst of a bunch of humans that don't have a clue who Jesus is, the demonic spirit does. And it's not just here, it's throughout Mark. The people don't get who Jesus is, but the demons absolutely did. And so you not only see it here, but you'll see it in Mark 3.11. You'll see it in Mark 5.7. You've got passages, Mark 3.11. And I'm going to actually look at this a little bit later on, but, but throw it up here now so that we've got it. Mark 3.11. Oops, here we go. Jesus withdraws, great crowd follows. When the great crowd heard all he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him. He'd healed many, so all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You're the Son of God! And he orders them not to make it known. I mean, this is, the, the, the demons get it. Look at Mark 5, 7. This is where Jesus heals the man of the Gadarenes. And we'll go into this in some depth here in a minute. But the man of the Gadarenes, demon possessed. What have you to do with me? Same combative language, by the way. Jesus, son of the most high God. So the demons got it. They knew who Jesus was. James, the brother of Jesus, would later write, you believe God's one, you do well, even the demons believe, and they shudder. They don't make him Lord of their life, but they know certainly who he is. So the story continues, but Jesus rebuked the spirit saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed. And they questioned themselves. They're saying, okay, now what's going on? We were amazed at the authority of his teaching, but get a load of this. Not just a new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. He's got authority over them. And at once his fame spread everywhere. And I got to tell you, some of us are really good at looking at Jesus and seeing who he is and seeing what he does. And making it no more personal than that. And we can even talk about him as someone famous, deserving of a star in Hollywood on the sidewalk. Who is Jesus? Is he what some might say uh, just a really famous important myth like Superman? Who is Jesus? Well let's set that aside for a moment and we're going to come back to it but before we do I want to look at Jesus in the war. Say what war? Well there's a war going on and you should know that because we've been collateral damage in that war. We've been used by the enemy in that war. I don't know if you've been following the current events of what's going on in the U Ukraine right now with Putin and Russia. And this is probably going to get me like hacked by some Russian hacker. So be it. Um, but the concerns, we, we were in England last week and, and the, the British media is really all over this. The concern is, is that Putin's not only getting ready to invade the Ukraine, but that he's sending in moles to set it up so that the moles will initiate the attack against Russia and then Russia gets to retaliate. And those moles will be used 
to set up the attack. Now, I'm, I'm not plugged in. I don't know if that's going to happen. I don't know if that's true. I don't know any of that. But you and I have been used by the enemy in the war. So there's a war that's going on. And you don't have to look far to see it. So I want to talk about Jesus in the war. And this is Mark 5, 1 through 20. And we won't look at all of the verses, but we're going to look at several. So I've got several of them up here right now. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. Uh, there we go. To the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat immediately, there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. So tombs, we know from the first century, often the tombs were cut into the rock as caves. And poor people and outcast people and lepers and others would often live in the tombs. The tombs are unclean by definition because they have dead people in them. And so the unclean and the dead could live in the tomb. So out of the tombs comes a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. Because he'd often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Now the war that's going on is a war between unseen forces for us. Satan and his minions have waged war against the holy God. And we, we get good insight into aspects of that in Scripture and in life. Even though Scripture is not written to lay the whole war in front of us. Scripture is not a history of the war. Scripture is a history of God's interactions with us. But his interactions with us necessarily involve the war. I mean, do you think in the garden, if we read the Garden of Eden story, and Adam and Eve are there, and they've been told, you've got all this freedom in the world, just don't eat of that tree. Do we think for a moment that the serpent, that Satan, is just slithering around and happens upon them? Oh, fancy that. Here's a chance for us to... For me to work my wily ways. No, Satan went with a purpose. And his purpose was to destroy the humans that were made in God's image. To bring them death. To bring them despair. To bring them the miseries of sin. And to disrupt their relationship with the holy God. To bring them into his fall. And he has been truly hell-bent and determined to do that ever since. And demons in the demon world and the demonic forces come to destroy the image of God in people. They come to take what God has made beautiful and not just mar it but make it unrecognizable. They can take that which is good and holy and let, let it be used in ways that are perverse and perverted. They can take something that's got a beautiful place in your life and let you make it an idol. I mean, it's good to eat, but not of that tree. There are tools of science that are wonderful. Understanding the, 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 the way, understanding the way that the atom functions enables us to make a magnetic resonance imaging machine that can peer inside your body in three-dimensional ways and even get a hold of liquids that won't show up on an X-ray. But that same technology of understanding the atom and the way it works can be used to make a bomb 
that can totally destroy the city of Houston. So technology can be used for good things. Technology can be used for sin. The, 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 the principle here is that demons come to destroy the image of God in people. Now, I think most of you probably go to church here. <laughs> we do have some people, though. We lost a bunch of class members when we changed times because we had a bunch of people who would go to other church services and then come to class here. I don't think with our class at this hour we have as many people like that, but we certainly have people watching on the Internet who don't maybe go to church here. Um, our pastor here is a fellow named Jarrett Stevens, and he's just uh, an amazing man of God and an amazing pastor. And he came here from a church where he was the teaching pastor. And he had gone with the, 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 the senior pastor from that church on a trip to India. And they were training other pastors in India. But one day, on a Lord's Day, they went out into a village to a house church where the, the pastor was going to preach. He's preaching in English. It's being translated into the Hindi language. And of course... Pastor Jarrett is just filming the whole thing because he's thinking he can get some clips that could be used on their internet site and he's not expecting anything out of the ordinary. And lo and behold, right as Jack, or the, the senior pastor is getting ready to offer the invitation and he calls on people to call on the name of Jesus and he points up to a cross on the wall. A woman with a demon just goes berserkoid. And Jarrett, Pastor Jarrett, catches it all on camera. I've just pulled out a little clip so that you get an idea. Here we go. <laughs> The clip that I've pulled out here, the clip that I've pulled out here is one uh, uh, in the process of all of that. They had commanded the, the spirit to come out and they had started worshiping. And that was a worship song of theirs with the clapping. And so they're worshiping to drive the spirit out. Uh, I asked uh, Jarrett about the follow-up and he said that the woman became a, a faithful member of the house church and uh, evidently was worshiping the Lord. But um, we, we don't experience that much of that here. Um, uh, it, 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 is a, it it's, it's a bizarre, bizarre situation. And, and he sent me about 10 minutes of video. So that's just a little clip to give you an idea of what was going on. But there's a woman who's just writhing and, and, and ultimately through sweat and, and, and sweats through the clothes, her hair going crazy, and she winds up uh, uh, just almost passing out through the ordeal as they're praying in the name of Jesus for the demon to leave her. It's, it's uh, an interesting situation. So this man sees Jesus from afar. He runs and falls down before him and cries out with a loud voice saying, what have you to do with me? Jesus, son of the most high God. That what have you to do with me, Tiamoi, Kaisoi? That's that combative language. Calls him Jesus, Yeshua, son of the most high God. Knew exactly who Jesus was. And he does this and says, I adjure you by God, don't torment me. And Mark says he was saying this. Or that, that the spirit says this, the unclean spirit, because Jesus is saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. So he's not coming out immediately. He's dialoguing with Jesus. Jesus said, what's your name? 
He says, my name is Legion, for we are many. And the Spirit begs Jesus earnestly not to send them out of the country. But there's a great herd of pigs, which are an unclean animal, feeding on the hillside. So they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So Jesus gives him permission. And the unclean spirits come out of the, the man. They enter the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushes down the steep bank into the sea and drowns in the sea. Now there's a teaching moment for us in this story beyond simply the demons coming to destroy the image of God in humanity. And that is that demons are also coming to destroy the world of God. The man of God, the, the, the man created in God's image, was fighting for life, still cutting himself and all of these other things. The pigs, they got no shot. So they're just immediately destroyed. But that's what we've got here. We've got a world that is, is feeling the consequences of the war. We've got people that are involved in the war. And in the midst of this, we have the Lord Jesus coming out. And the Lord Jesus comes to restore that which the evil mars and, and contorts and distorts. And Jesus says, I'm going to come restore that. And he comes to do that. And he comes to do that to those people. And he comes to do it to the world. This is one way I urge us to understand the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer, which I think most everybody knows. Whether Christian or not. Pater Hamon, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This on earth as it is in heaven modifies each of these phrases. That his name would be hallowed on earth as it is in heaven. That his kingdom would come on earth as it does in heaven. And his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the will of God on earth, the kingdom coming on earth, is to fight against sin and its consequences. We want the kingdom to invade sin. We don't want to open our lives up to it. We don't want to invite uncleanliness into our lives. We want to fight the fight ourselves. But we want to fight it in where we find it in others. And if someone is sick, we want to do all we can to help them heal in the name of Jesus. And if someone's hurting, we want to offer them comfort in the name of Jesus. And if someone is hungry, we want to feed them in the name of Jesus. And if someone has no clothes, we want to clothe them in the name of Jesus. <clears throat> we, we, we want science to be used for good things to make this world a better place in the name of Jesus. And we don't want to interpret the... We do not want spiritual narcissism to control our lives and desires. We do not want to live as people self-centered. That's the enemy. We don't want to live as people of hate. That's the enemy. Christ says we're to love not just each other, but we're to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. You don't find that in the world. In the world you find people who say things like, Vengeance is a dish best served cold. I worked with a lawyer one time who came to my office and said, hey, Kubash, you like that, don't you? Good to see you, brother. I worked with a lawyer one time who came to my office and says, so-and-so just knifed me in the back. I said, man, I'm sorry to hear that. That's okay. I'm going to get even. I said, you are? He says, yeah, but not now. He says, vengeance is a dish best served cold. I'm going to wait till he's not looking and then I'm going <laughs> to. Like, well, have a good day. Enjoy. 
Enjoy your life, brother. Yeah, just let it fester inside you for a long time with no forgiveness. That'll really do you wonders. But we live in a world where people think that way. We live in a world where people think, you know, they'll take a passage of Scripture and that vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will be the servant of the Lord. Let me go get vengeance. That's, that's, that's not, you know, we need to be the people who love and pray for our enemies. We need an entire different worldview because this is a war. And we need to remember whose side we're on. And we want the kingdom of God to, and, and the ultimate kingdom of God can never come in this fallen world. But that doesn't mean it can't come in this fallen world to help change things. That doesn't mean we can't reach out and, and, and we need to think, I, one of my favorite churches, if anybody's watching this at that church uh, ever, because this is like in the cloud, if anybody's watching this, um, I love this about your church. Langham Place is a church uh, uh, in All Souls Church, Langham Place in, in London. And when I'm there on a Sunday, that's where I go to church. That's where John Stott was the preacher way back in the day. And if you've read any John Stott. And every morning, uh, Sunday morning, they have a prayer uh, for uh, like a, a, an opening type prayer. But the prayer is always divided into three different sections. They first pray for the world. And not just God bless the world. But they'll find each Sunday some aspect of the world that needs prayer, like the Ukraine. Lord, right now there's tension in the Ukraine. We know that war brings pain and death and destruction. And, and, and war for evil ends is not a good thing. And we pray for peace and we pray for wisdom and we pray for the right strength and the right powers. And we pray for the negotiators to make the right decisions. And they'll pray for the world. And then they'll pray for their nation. And Lord, God save the queen, bless England, you know, help the prime minister to do better than his hairstyle. Uh, <laughs> nothing personal. Um, but Boris Johnson's got like, <laughs> he's got Rod Stewart hair, I call it. Anyway, uh, you know, and they'll pray for their country. And now they'll pray for their leader if they like him or don't like him. And then they'll pray for their church and their members. And they've got those three segments they pray for every Sunday. And, and I love that outward focus. You know, Lord, we want, we want evidence of your kingdom here on earth. In the nations, in our country, and in our lives. And I think that's just splendid. So that's Jesus in the war. Now the last thing. Jesus don't miss him. Don't miss him. We're going to go to Mark 6 for this story. Jesus went away from there and he came to his hometown. And his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in their synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished. Where did this man get these things? What's the wisdom given to him? remember we already know Jesus didn't teach the way their scribes did he didn't say hey, let me explain this passage by quoting Rabbi Ben Shammai or, or Gamaliel Ben Simon Ben Gamaliel or the house of Shammai or the house of Hillel or you know he, he didn't he didn't do that he spoke with the authority of one who, who spoke scripture into being so they're sitting there saying, where did he get this stuff? What's his wisdom given to him? How's he doing all this mighty stuff? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this the son of Mary? By the way, that's a slur. That's a slam. Remember in the Mishnah, it talked about Shimon ben Gamaliel, Simon, the son of Gamaliel. Simon bar Jonah in scripture, Simon the son of Jonah, 
Bar is the Aramaic word for son. Ben is the Hebrew word for son. And you were labeled as the son of your father. Even if your father's dead, you carry the label, the son of your father. My son, Will Lanier, is Will Ben Mark. Will, son of Mark. Your son is Scott Ben Neal, son of Neal. That's the way they said it. But Jesus, who was his dad anyway, nobody knows quite who Mary was with beforehand. So we'll just call him son of Mary. There's a slur there. And we don't want to read over it. He's the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And his sisters are here. And they took offense at Jesus. This word offense, escandalizonto. It is the word root that referenced the trigger of a trap. Like if you want to trap a, a rabbit and the rabbit's going to jump in there and hit the trigger and the trap falls down, that's the trigger of the trap. It's, it's, the, 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 it's what Paul uses in Corinthians when he says, uh, uh, talks about not just the scandal of the cross, but that it, it is a scandal to, we get the word scandal from it to the Jews, that it was a, a tripping stone, uh, something that would trip them up. So they take offense at Jesus. They get tripped up over him to their own demise. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. Which lets you know that his brothers and his sisters were joining in Yep, this is our older brother who, you know, son of our mother. They clearly didn't believe the virgin birth. They clearly didn't accept Jesus as Savior. At this time, when Jesus is resurrected after his death, his family, everybody's like, oh, mercy. And the book of James... I quoted from earlier, James 2, 19, or I think was the passage that you believe God is one, that's good. Even the demons believe and shudder. That's written by the brother of Jesus who becomes a martyr, who gives up his own life, understanding, who becomes a leader in the church, understanding that his older brother was indeed the son of God. But at this point, they're mocking him. And the passage ends, it says, Jesus could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And Jesus marveled at their unbelief. It stunned Jesus. You know, it's interesting. I don't want to get people upset over the issue of irresistible grace, so excuse me here. But there's a point here that Jesus doesn't force himself on anyone. He'll say, behold, I stand at the door and knock. He doesn't say, I'm kicking this door down. If those people don't have enough faith, Jesus is not going to force heal anybody. He leaves. Now, these are difficult passages because we internalize this stuff and we start thinking, well, mercy, or when, when Jesus hadn't done miracles in my life, is that because I don't have enough faith? Now, you just need faith the size of a mustard seed and mountains will move. There are other reasons. God's got other things working in his world. And so we don't need to take this as an indictment of our faith, but we do need to understand realistically that there are times we do not trust in Jesus and as a result, we don't get the fruits and the benefits that we would if we did. And, and I mean, this passage, Jesus marveled because of their unbelief. 
I had a friend once who told me a parable. I was in high school. And he said uh, that, uh, I don't know if he dreamed it or if he heard it from a sermon or if he made it up. But it sounds better if he dreamed it. So I'm going to tell you he dreamed it. I just don't know that he did. He may have heard it, may have read it, may have thought it. He dies and he goes to heaven. And he's getting a tour. And as he's getting a tour of heaven, by the way, this is not N.T. Wright, so he's like up in heaven. He's not like, <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, um, as he's getting a tour, uh, there's this room. And, and Peter's giving him the tour. And Peter says, don't go in that room. Don't even open the door. It's just going to upset you. Guy says, well, now you got my curiosity up. He says, no, seriously, seriously. You don't want to go there. Guy says, well, am I allowed to? Yeah, you're allowed to, but you don't want to. Guy says, well, I'm going to. And he opens the door, and it's chock full of all of these treasures. And they've got the guy's name on them. The guy says, wait a minute, these treasures, they've got my name on them. Yeah. Well, are these mine? Well, they, they would have been yours on earth. What do you mean, would have? I didn't get these things. And he says, yeah, you, you didn't trust God enough to get them. You know, if you trust God, you, 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 you've got some measure of life that you won't have if you don't. And I'm not saying, gee, trust God and you're going to get millions of dollars in your bank. I'm not telling you trust God and you're never going to get sick. I'm not telling you trust God and, and your family's going to be healed. What I'm telling you is trust God. And you will walk in blessings that you will never have if you choose the other side of the war. And you don't trust him. That's what I'm telling you. So that's where I wind up with this lesson today. Who is Jesus? Well, he is a great teacher. He is a, 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 an amazing prophet. But Jesus is the Holy One of God. And Jesus is the one who's not only the Holy One of God, but He's the one who makes clean those of us who are unclean so that we can be in God's presence. Do you get that in each of these stories? For those with faith who are in His presence, He makes them clean. The only ones that are left to their own devices are the ones of no faith. So who is Jesus? I want this personally. Because somewhere I fit into this war. And I don't want to just be Satan's punching bag. Do you know some of the most miserable people I've ever met are people who are too religious to have the fun the world offers. And too worldly to have the joy that the faith offers, the Lord offers. People who sit in the middle on the fence. Yes, I'm a believer, but they're not willing to trust God. They'll trust Him until it calls on them to sacrifice or calls on them to make a decision that doesn't seem wise or intrudes upon their personal entertainment preferences. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, I yeah, I... <laughs> let's, I trust God, but, you know, let's don't take this too far. And, 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 and there's a war that's going on. And I want to ask myself, where am I? Because I want to be on Jesus' side, not only though in my own life, but in the lives of those I see. If I did not believe that God wanted me to be up here teaching, I would not be up here teaching. There are some great teachers in this church. And I'd be sitting down listening to them. And soaking it in. I, 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 I've got some wonderful opportunities in this world to do some things with my time. Other than spend hours and hours getting ready to teach. But there's a war going on and this is some way I can invest in other people's lives. Because I want to be on the side of the Lord. 
And so I need to take this seriously and I need to do this right. But you've got those opportunities too. It may not be to teach a class, but you've got opportunities to love the unloved. To forgive the unforgivable. To walk in the faith that God has control of your life and control of your heart and control of your mind and wants to bless you as you trust Him. Even if you're hurting, even if you're miserable. And so I want to be that voice to urge you there. And then finally, I don't want to miss him because I'm, I, want to, I, don't, I don't want to miss out on what he has in, in store for me. I'd much rather have what God has in store for me than I would all the riches of the world. I'd much rather have what God has in store for me than all of the feel-good moments that human life can offer. I'd much rather have what God has in store for me than what makes my stomach full at the moment. And that's my, my, my issue. That's where I land with these snapshots of Jesus today. So with that, let me bless you in the name of Jesus and we'll look at more snapshots next week. Father, in Jesus' holy righteous name we come before you confessing our uncleanness and seeking his purity we come before you confessing our unfaithfulness and seeking greater faith we come before you testifying to the war and seeking to be your warriors empowered by your spirit following your lead and seeing your kingdom come and your will be done as your name is hallowed on earth as it is in heaven. This is our prayer in the power of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.